Hey everybody, welcome to episode 330 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is your host, Chris McClung, and I'm excited about today's episode because we have an everyday runner joining the show who slid into my direct messages with a question about her training, and that question wasn't easy enough to answer via direct message, so we we have her here on the podcast. I'll be joined by James Dodds, and we will be coaching her up. Her name is Sarah Perry, and you'll get to learn all about her backstory and hear our conversation to help prepare her for her goals to come. In particular, right now she's a half marathoner who's looking to get to the marathon at some point. And so this conversation really details her questions about that journey and how we lay out the path forward for her so that she can make sure she's doing all the right things to prepare for that eventual marathon. So we'll get to that in just a second. Before we do, I wanted to First, just thank my sponsor for this episode, Run Jonji, Jonji Running Apparel. They've become my favorite running apparel brand, and I'm excited to have them supporting the podcast. You'll have an offer code from me mid-episode in my partnership with Jonji. So you'll hear that in just a second. But without further ado, let's jump into my conversation with Sarah Perry, who is dreaming of the marathon. Here we go. Welcome, Sarah, to the Running Rogue podcast. Sarah, thanks for joining us. How are you? Thank you. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Very excited. Novice runner here to be to be talking. Yeah, little did you know that a simple direct message on Instagram would lead you to this. <laughs> Being on your very own podcast with me, I'm excited about getting to know you. You know, we don't know each other. I've never coached you. You slid in to my DMs with a question. Honestly, there was more there to answer than I was able to answer through direct message. So we ultimately said, hey, let's jump on with you. And obviously, I've got James here as well. Let's jump on with you, help answer your questions and give you a pathway to follow towards whatever your running goals might be. But I don't know what they are even at this point. So we're going to get to know you. Audience will get to know you and we'll coach you up along the way, as well as, of course, answering your questions. So I'm excited about that. Before we get too far, I do want to read the question that you asked just to set context for the discussion, and then we'll come around to answering it later, but we'll, we'll work backwards to get some history on you before we, we jump into answering it. But you said, hi, I'm a follower of Nicole M. Runs, Nicole Winter, who recently came on with me and did the Q&A, and I was wondering if you had an episode on increasing your VO2 max. I feel like my pace is very slow and I try to run easy for the most part and I feel pretty good most runs. I've done two half marathons. However, it doesn't seem to matter how slow my running is. My heart rate is always in my zone five, whether it's an easy run or a speed run. So that was your question essentially. What's my view or how do I improve VO2 max and how do I get my heart rate under control on some of these runs? Mm -hmm. So... We'll get to those questions and many more as we get into this, but I want to go backward first, just getting to know you a little bit more. I know we exchanged some messages, so I have a little bit of background, but tell the audience, who are you? How old are you? What are you doing now? Right. So I am 28 years old. I am currently an internal medicine resident here at Tulane. I'm in New Orleans. Um, I'm a first year intern, so we have really hard hours, but I went to medical school in Tennessee, and my husband and I are actually both medical residents, so our schedules are pretty pretty hectic. Um, I'm from Memphis originally. Uh, in terms of kind of a little bit of running background, sports background, I didn't, I was not good at sports growing up at all. Always on a JV team, just like happy to be there. <laughs> um, not a super competitive person at all. Um, played lacrosse, did a little bit of cross country and just absolutely hated it. Um, and so just really hated running for a long time. I grew up having a mom who has run for 40 plus years consistently, like three miles, five days a week, no matter what. And so grew up just kind of around a lot of consistent runners, but hated it. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Seems like you're maybe learning to like it now, but we can yeah. get to that. So one thing I just wanted to do in terms of setting context, not everybody knows the medical training path. My wife's a doctor, so I'm very familiar with it. But you went to four years of med school, you know, four years of university, four years of med school. Now you're a first year resident, meaning it's your first year of apprenticeship, essentially, as 
a doctor, you're an MD, but you're continuing your training until they give you the official board certified medical doctor title so you can go practice however you want. That first year of residency is super intense, especially mm-hmm. in internal medicine. So just paint a little bit of picture for what your schedule's like, what your hours are, that sort of thing. Yeah, schedule is, to be honest, I'm like a week by week kind of person, but essentially what our schedules can look like is about four straight weeks of what we call wards. So you're in the hospital for four straight weeks, um, seven days a week, close to 80 hour work work, di- work weeks. You're not supposed to surpass that. And and we don't typically do that, but, um, you get one day off and an average, like in an average of seven. So maybe four days off in a month. And, um, so you'll do that for a whole month and then that will juxtapose, juxtapose with like a clinic week, which is more of an eight to five kind of Monday through Friday schedule. And then we'll also have other electives sprinkled in. So whether you're working with the um, like endocrine physicians or the GI physicians in the hospital and those specialty electives can look very different. So some days you could have just a few hours of work, um, whereas other days you're eight to five. It's so intense that they had to pass a rule limiting hours to 80 hours a week. That was a little bit ago now, but, but not that long ago, really, in the grand scheme. Yeah. And so it's that kind of intense. They're working you as much as you can. And the old school doctors would say, you need that kind of exposure in order to learn all the different aspects of medicine, which can be a lot, but it's an intense schedule for sure. Yes. Are you enjoying it? I am. I I actually am. I feel like my medical school really prepared me for the throes of, of intern year. And so I'm very thankful for that. New Orleans has a very very sick population, very dense population that's underserved. And so we do get, it's a very gratifying um, situation to be in. So I'm, I'm loving it, to be honest, even, even those months of wards. Do you know what pathway you want to follow? Are you going to stay general internal medicine, specialize further? What are you thinking? Yeah, I actually want to do primary care and then specifically women's health. Um, and, and that's, that's kind of my plan right now. Cool. You also have the challenge of training through New Orleans summers, which yeah. <laughs> I was just there a couple of weekends ago. I did a long run on a Saturday. It was 85 degrees at 6 a.m. and 90 plus percent humidity. It was absolutely brutal. I thought Austin was bad, but it trumped Austin. The humidity so is something I even like Memphis has horrible heat and humidity, but I was not prepared. It's different down here. It's it's very different. <laughs> it's different. It's all day. It's all consuming. It's all day, it all night. <laughs> never burns off like it does in Austin, at least. So, yes, it's intense. But it sounds like you're hanging in there. Mm-hmm. For sure. So I want to go back a little bit on your running journey. You set some context and found get some foundational info. So you talked about the sports you played growing up, dabbling but not enjoying cross country. How did your journey progress from there through college, through med school? When did you start picking up running as an activity and hobby by by itself? Yeah. So all through high school, kind of did a little bit of running with lacrosse, but not much. And then in college, I would go on like an occasional three mile run every now and then, Um, but did most of my working out in the gym with like higher intensity weight training and stuff like that. Um, it wasn't until my fourth year of medical school when my sister, who was three years younger, she really wanted us to do the St. Jude half marathon together. And so I had never run more than a 5k. Um, and I don't think she had either, but she was like, you know, you're about to leave Memphis. This is kind of the amazing race we have and we were born and raised there and and it's it truly is a wonderful um race and just weekend and so I said you know I will try my best and that was last year so the race is in in December so it hasn't come up on a year yet but 
I told her in the summer that I would try. And so we started, she begged me. She really did beg me. (laughs) I did not want to do it at all. Um, But I didn't have an excuse in your fourth year of medical school. You have a lot of time off, like too much time off. So I really had no excuse. Um, She had found like the Nike Run Club had a four week get into running program. And she was like, why don't you just try this? If you hate it, we won't do it. So I did that. And I realized that my whole life I had been running too hard. And that's why I hated it. Um, And these like, to me, the Nike Run Club has has these guided runs with Coach Bennett. And he, I could never get into guided runs. It was always too like, push, push, push. It wasn't my my thing, but his were more like meditative and, and about how you're feeling and really getting in tune to all of that. And to me, finally, like realizing I could slow down, I felt like I could run for longer. And that was new to me. Like before I couldn't run five minutes um, without just like feeling miserable. <laughs> and so this is the first time that I could run for longer. And I just kept increasing. And then we started, I think it's a a 14 week half marathon training programs. It's like five runs a week. And we did all of our long runs together. Um, my sister and her boyfriend, and it was just, I don't know. It was just so different than anything I'd experienced before with running. Like not only was I enjoying the pace that I was going and like the camaraderie that we had going on our Saturday, Sunday long runs. Um, but it, just totally changed my outlook and now I love it. And I, I feel so annoying because anytime I would hear anybody talk about running like this before this, I would be so annoyed. <laughs> so Now you're the one that's annoying. Now people. I'm the one. <laughs> well, you also had that team sport background where I, I mean, I grew up playing team sports and running was often punishment in mm-hmm. those environments. So it naturally programs a bit of a, a negative response when you when people are talking about running, but then, but then you realize that, Hey, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be punishment. It can actually be a reward if you treat it the right way. So I'm glad you were able to reorient your relationship. How did that training go? It was great. I had one goal just to run the whole thing. Uh, I didn't have any kind of pace uh, or time goal. It was just very simple to run the whole time. And I think having no pressure or I mean that I guess you know running the whole time is is a good goal in of itself and so having done that I felt great throughout all of the training and then ran the whole time and then I was like wow I guess I can maybe do more than just run the whole time did you run it with your sister I did um we ran a, it, it's it's funny but we ran about the first eight miles together and she had some knee problems towards the end of our training. And uh, so she ended up falling a little bit behind me, but um, it's, it's funny because she was the one that really wanted to do this. And then you beat her. (laughs) And I was the one that that was like, this is the most amazing thing I've ever done. (laughs) That's awesome. How did you feel at that finish line? It was great. I felt like I could keep going, which I just, it's, I don't know if you all have ever done the St. Jude um, race, but it's incredible. Uh, I've never been to the New York Marathon or Boston or anything. And I know those are amazing, but this one was so cool because you run downtown Memphis through the St. Jude campus. And so there are people cheering the whole way. Um, and then you go through the St. Jude campus and all of the kids and the staff at St. Jude are out there. And it's just very, it's a very like touching, um, goosebump kind of moment. And then you run through the Memphis neighborhoods and there's just people the whole entire way. It was, it's very cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Shout out to St. Jude though. Great cause. Anybody who's treated their kids, they don't, they don't pay a, a dime and obviously and also they're often supported in other ways. So it's a great cause. And I can imagine that that would have been a cool thing to be a part of, to see the cause that you were supporting through the race up close and personal. Mm-hmm. So 
Tell me about your sister's response at the finish line and how did that compare and contrast with yours? Oh, that's an interesting question. I think she was still, you know, she had to walk for a little bit and I think she was bummed out about it. But overall, I think she was just happy to be there and happy that she was able to get not only me, but also her boyfriend to run a half marathon. So I'm sure (laughs) that had to feel good. That's cool. She's the rebel rouser. She's corralling you guys into this big stuff. I'm curious here. You wrote, I mean, you said, um, sorry, I take notes. So I I wrote, but um, you had this thought, maybe I can do more. Talk, talk a little more about that. I'm curious what people daydream about and what's going on in there. Like, yeah. So I think once in, during the training plan, once I got to around 10 or 12 miles, it's like, I want to do a marathon. That's, that's my goal eventually in life. Um, and, and, um, after the St. Jude, one of my best friends who had just had a baby a couple months prior wanted to run a half marathon before her daughter turned one. And so she corralled me yet again to sign up for another half marathon four months later, uh, or five months later. And so I was like, well, if I can run an entire half, then I want to just beat my time. Um, so I just want to run the whole, t- whole, whole time and then beat my time. So I just kind of kept having these thoughts of like, if I can do this, then there's no reason why I couldn't do this. And it just felt easier to have these goals that are attainable. Um, I like this. I'm just wanting to dig into the psyche a little because um, you use terms like, uh, there's no reason why I couldn't. I'm going to softly ask if you'll invite me. And it's like, all right, have there been times where you felt like you couldn't? Couldn't run? Yeah. What was the idea of 26 miles? Just like, I, that's not for me. I can't. Like, I'm, I'm digging a little, but I'm curious. Yeah. I mean, before I started the training, I guess, 20 weeks out from last December, I could not run one mile without stopping. Like, could not. So if you told me that I would run 13 point one in a few months, I would not have believed you at that point. Like it, it just wasn't in my head at all. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, yeah, you had that block, you know, your experience from high school said, um, this is not my thing. But then I, I appreciate your sister giving you the nudge, but then mm-hmm. also you being willing to step into it and say, all right, well, let's see. Mm-hmm. You know, I can do a four week plan to prepare for this and then we'll see i'm curious what your time was in that first race yes um two two thirty was my time so it was like eleven thirty pace look at my garmin um yep two thirty twenty six eleven twenty nine pace Awesome. And then as you train for the next one, did you change anything? Did you keep following the same plan? I did the same plan and I definitely wasn't as um, available as I was uh, when I did it the first time. So I wasn't hitting all the speed runs. Like basically I just made sure that I was doing a couple of like one or two recovery runs and one or two speed runs and then a long run every week but I wasn't hitting all five, um, mostly just time. And, and I wanted to do it with, with, the, with her, with my friend. So I wasn't training as hard, but she was faster than me. She was she runs faster. And so I was on our long runs, which is what we did together. Uh, I was definitely pushing it. So I, I got five minutes off my total time to 225.33. So 11.06 pace. Did you guys finish together? We did. Yeah. That's cool. That's a rare, I think that's a rare thing, you know, because oftentimes, even if you both have great races, usually mm-hmm. there's some differentiation, right? I'm sure your sister had a great race in the grand scheme, but she had a little thing that held her back. So it's rare to, to be able to go start to finish with somebody. Mm-hmm. That's a cool. Sure. How did yeah. it, how did that compare to your first experience, the second one? 
Um, this half was a smaller city in Memphis, like a suburb. And so it was very empty. <laughs> it was not the same kind of energy. And so I almost wonder if we would have gone faster. You know, the energy in a, in a race is, makes it so different to me. And so this one, we had our family and friends kind of posted at different spots to cheer us on. But for the most part, it was miles of, of no one. So it was just a little, it felt like we were just on our Saturday long run. And just to clarify timeline, that was April of 2022. Is that right? 23. This year. 23. So that was this past spring. Nice. So December 22, April 23. Here we are in September of 23. So a few months later. What did that race inspire you to think about? To just continue training. I just, I felt like um, if I stop, I'm going to lose all of my progress. And I, I felt kind of in a weird, I don't know how to run without a race in sight, I guess. Um, I didn't know, I didn't know how to do that without having any structure of a date set, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I know a lot of people start that way. They pick a race and then they work backwards to their time and then they train for it. Then oftentimes they take a gap or break until they have another one that they've signed up for. So what have you done between then and now? I will say not a, not a whole lot. Um, having started residency at the end of June, um, I just wasn't running much at all uh, with the time constraints of of being in the hospital for such long hours, I was just focused on kind of adjusting to this new, our new city, our new work, um, kind of maybe running a few miles once a week if I had the time. Is your husband a first year resident as well? Mm -hmm. He's internal medicine with me as well. Okay. So You're both in the same boat. Nice. I would I would love to dig in on the match process with you, but we'll we'll save the listeners from that discussion because that's always stressful too. Yeah, we were very so. <laughs> so, okay, so you've been reorienting, figuring it out. When did you start following Nicole? Um, I guess well before she ran the Eugene Marathon. Um, I don't know when, I can't remember exactly when that was, but maybe. That was in April. What drew you to her page? Um, I have no idea. I, ha I <laughs> honestly have no idea. You know, once you start, once you get one runner on your explore page, then you get a couple and um, she, she just has nice videos to watch. <laughs> <laughs> nice. She does, and cool. um, they're pretty encouraging too. I, you know, I'm curious, Barry, behind even like what maybe drew you there, or even following one runner. Um, you mentioned if you don't have the race and the date in the calendar, then you won't keep running, right? And so mm -hmm. the why for the the race becomes the running, and the why for the running becomes the race, and so that's circular. But the presupposition yeah. is that it matters to run. Why does mm -hmm. it matter to you to run? feels great. I truly enjoy it. Um, I think also seeing my mom and her consistency throughout my entire life. Um, and she's the healthiest person I know. And I think a lot of people my age grow up in somewhat of like a yo-yo exercise, like mindset of exercise where it's like this fat or um, they go really hard for a couple of weeks and then they don't do much or just not much consistency. And so for me, that was very, her outlook is so different than most people that I know. <laughs> uh, but she's also the healthiest person that I know. Um, and so I want to look like her when I'm when I'm that age. <laughs> Mom's inspiring you. I love it. Mm -hmm. Have you told sure. her that? Oh, yeah, she Good. knows. <laughs> Good. You probably can't tell her too much. Does she do races too? No, no. She did um 
She's done a couple of marathons before I was born. But that that's about it. She doesn't race. I'm curious, as you've been in this transition period, but still obviously thinking about your running, if you're watching Nicole's Q&A with me and mm-hmm. also sending me messages, I know you mentioned the idea of wanting to do a marathon, but what other goals have kind of been percolating in your head? Um, Pace. I'd like to just be faster and feel more comfortable. I felt like, you know, I knocked off five minutes from my first to second half marathon, but I felt like I should be able to do more than that. And I just want to continue I enjoy pushing myself and I want, but I want to continue to feel good doing that. What led you to writing me that question? Oh, (laughs) so, so I've had a really old Garmin basic watch for a long time. And as a graduation, it it just did the basic stuff like pace, time your runs, whatever. Um, I got a really nice one as a graduation present to myself. And then I got really obsessed with all these metrics. <laughs> dangerous. <laughs> it, it, yeah. I, th- I think it is dangerous because, because I, you know, you can feel one way and then your watch will tell you you feel another way. <laughs> <laughs> well, short answer. I encourage you to listen to how you feel and not what your watch is telling you, <laughs> but, but we'll get into that more. So, Tell me about your dreams in the sport at this point. Obviously getting the marathon done, but have you thought about specific times? Oh, no. Have you I thought mean, about anything beyond finishing a marathon or no. running a half in a certain time? A ha- I, I guess I would like to, like, are we talking realistic goals or goals? goals? I'm talking about any i'm talking about actually unrealistic goals in your mind <laughs> because yeah. whatever you think is unrealistic is might well probably is realistic with the right training so give me anything that's swimming around that you're brave enough to say out loud i would love to run a marathon sub four <laughs> all right like it um yeah but the why, end why of, that i don't know why, why that number just a numbers person. <laughs> but what do you think it would represent for you? I think to to me, and this has no foundation. It's not, it's a very to me that looks strong and um, hard. <laughs> Fair enough. Won't be easy. But, no, no. But definitely doable if you work at it. But I would see, I can understand how that would be daunting. You know, you've run 225 for the half. You multiply that times two, that's 450. Mm-hmm. And that's just a half. So you'd have to basically run two half marathons in a row, 25 minutes faster than you've ever run a half by itself. That's so. my like unrealistic goal. <laughs> but to, to run a, ha- a whole marathon, a full marathon is like achieving would be achieving a lot for me at all. So, well, I mean, I I wouldn't call it a sub four unrealistic. I would call it very realistic. And, and if, if that's important to you and you, and we might get to talking about your why for that, we've already gotten a little bit, but if that's important to you, you can absolutely do it. And it's just a question of, okay, what do I have to do to start taking steps towards that goal? And that we can lay out for you or at least give you a blueprint now because you're still so new. You're so early in this journey, which is magical in many ways because the sky's the limit. And it's just a matter of, all right, how do I start to build a long-term path towards my potential that's, you know, building it the right way based on sound training principles and that's building it in a way that's sustainable so that you can stay healthy along the way that becomes the question. And if you do those two things, you're going to get there. It's just a matter of when. Mm -hmm. I have no rush. (laughs) Also a good orientation. (laughs) No need to rush at 28 years old. I mean, you've got probably 20 years of getting faster ahead of you if you want it. That's exciting. Maybe more. Who knows? (laughs) Who knows? 
Now, before we get to the tactics of this sub four marathon for Sarah, I want to talk about my sponsor for this episode, John G Running Apparel. Really, really love their stuff. I want you to go check it out. They are a running apparel company that makes functional products for exploring runs anywhere. And they do it supporting great causes, particularly water projects all around the world. They also highlight artists from countries all over the world with their beautiful colors and patterns. Personally, I'm excited about some of their fall stuff coming up, even though it's not quite fall weather yet. They've got some great new outerwear items, as well as a trail full tight that I look forward to wearing maybe three times this year when we actually get colder weather here in Austin. But those pieces look great. The colors look awesome as well as they're based on colors and patterns inspired by Japanese artists. The other thing you need to know about their apparel is that it's highly durable. They have a five-year run everywhere guarantee. So if anything happens and it doesn't last that long, they will replace it. No questions asked. So go check out your John G running apparel. You can use my code at runjohnji.com for 15% off. That's code rogue15, R-O-G-U-E-1-5. Again, for 15% off your order, you can use that as much as you want as well. So get multiple orders going if you so choose, but go check out their stuff. Really, really love working with them. And now back to my conversation with Sarah. Here we go. Okay. So I want to break, start breaking this down a little bit and we can kind of intersperse some of these goal, goal discussions too. But from your understanding, you know, the term VO2 max from your understanding, what is VO2 max? like how well how efficient your body delivers oxygen under stress essentially how efficient you are at bringing in oxygen and then delivering it going in and and out yeah i think that's a decent paraphrase i mean it's basically the maximum oxygen you can bring in at a time to fuel your working muscles and their respiration per kilogram of body weight. (laughs) So, so, you know, it becomes a limiting factor, but it is not the only factor that matters. And so when you ask the question, as I was thinking about it, I'm like, well, there's a lot of dimensions to this because the marathon, especially the half marathon, even there, there are VO2 max contribute contributions to being able to run and go to half and full, but there are, many more contributions as well. And VO2 max itself has a genetic component. It's also more geared towards measuring what we can do for two mile or three mile really hard efforts. And so while generally a higher VO2 max indicates more potential for the half and the full, it isn't necessarily the end all and be all number. And in fact, I'd probably say that there are other elements that are actually more important to be worried about. Most of them will have ripple effects on VO2 max, but are more important in the end to getting your best potential from that distance. And so I think one beginning way to answer your question is I wouldn't actually worry about VO2 max. Your watch is going to give you a number that's wrong. You know, you could get it measured in a lab, but that's not that useful for most people. And if you do, you probably need to get it measured more than once to actually understand how your training is impacting it. And in my experience as a coach, I've never required that metric for helping somebody achieve whatever goals they want. So that is a small part of a bigger answer here, but that's one thing I would say to start with that question. So then the natural follow-up is, okay, well, what does matter, Chris, (laughs) if that... If that doesn't matter, so to speak, or is not something to focus on, what does matter? And that's when, you know, James and I will will start to go off on things like aerobic capacity and making sure you're building volume because the number one training principle to getting faster is building mileage and being able to build it consistently at easy efforts. Full stop. You know, the more we can do that, over time, obviously starting from wherever your starting point and doing it safely, ultimately, the more you're going to reach your potential as a runner. And easy volume might actually improve VO2 max, but it, it's not directly measured by it. 
it is measured by your Garmin though. You can see the miles that go in, track it on Strava if you, if you wish. So starting with that piece of the conversation, I wanted to just talk to you about where are you from that perspective? I know you said you're running, you were running five days a week when you're in training, may not be there right now with your schedule, but when you were in training for that second race or even the first, what did your schedule generally look like? How long was your longest long run? How many miles per week were you on it running? That sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Longest long run was 12 and a half, I think. And ooh, per week mileage, gosh, I, I really don't know. It was two speed runs and two recovery runs. Um, the speed runs never really surpassed 45 minutes. The recovery runs were 30 minutes to 60 minutes. Um, gosh, I guess maybe that would be like 10 to 15 miles a week, maybe towards the end. It wasn't a ton of running. And I think that was why I was able to stick to it at the beginning. Now I feel like I could do more miles um, with time, if time allows, but the speed runs were never very long. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes they were fart licks or just intervals, um, track runs, that kind of thing. So a couple of 45 minute speed runs, 30 to 60 minute recovery days mm-hmm. and a long run. Mm-hmm. That was, you know, an up and then down, but the longest I think was 12 and a half. Okay, cool. So step one in answering your question is when time allows, we need to establish a blueprint for your week that you can then build off of. And we would contend that two speed workouts a week is actually suboptimal in terms of building towards your long run, long-term potential because it's not giving you enough aerobic capacity building time during your week. So if we were to structure your week, it would have two recovery runs as you had, one speed day, one medium long run day, which you're building up to your second longest run of the week sometime during the week, and then a long run day that would ultimately be, if you were training for a half longer than 12 miles, somewhere in the 14 to 16 mile range, even for somebody who's relatively new. Obviously, we build that gradually, but over the course of a 20-week plan, given your history with the half, we could easily get you to that in your next half training cycle if you were to ask us for a plan, for example. And it's, I think, important to pause, and, and James, feel free to jump in here. It's important to pause on why, because I think a lot of online plans or app-based plans that you can find out there have the two speed days as a standard. One typically is interval-based and one typically is more, quote, tempo-based. But from our perspective, for that newer runner who's developing aerobic capacity, and honestly, even for the most experienced runners that I coach and train who've been doing this for a long time and might be going 60 to 70 miles a week, most of the time we're just doing one speed day. The reason being, because when we do more easy running, we build the size of our engine, we focus on that aerobic capacity building zone versus when we do speed training, we, we focus on fine tuning the engine. And ultimately, especially for that new runner, newer runner who is less aerobically developed, aerobic capacity building is more important in reaching your potential than engine fine tuning. Yeah. That makes you sense. want a big engine versus a revved up smaller engine. Plus, the bonus there is if you're doing it easy enough is that it's easier to stay healthy along the way versus when you start adding too much intensity, the body can break down more quickly. So if I were you, I'd be thinking about how do I build that blueprint? And I know it's hard when your routine might not be consistent right now, but when you have those opportunities for it to be, how do I build that blueprint so that I can create routine around one medium long run, one quality day, one recovery day after the quality day and after the long run, and then obviously a long run fitting in there. Right. And I think that was one of my questions I was going to ask you as, as experts, but um, 
how do you be consistently inconsistent essentially when you know that your life is I mean I, I don't know I guess I could be making excuses and like I could go out <laughs> at 4 a.m but I don't want you're not to. making excuses you're not oh. making excuses I, I know what I know what that schedule's like with call and everything else there's there's no way that there's no way in your season of life that you're going to be able to create as consistent a routine as would be optimal. It's just, it's not possible. And part of this is giving yourself the grace to know that this is just a season of life that will be like that. And there will be others, you know, if you and your husband have kids, I guarantee you after that first one is born, that is a season of life where this becomes challenging. And there will be others for whatever reason, starting new jobs, shifting careers, moving, your kid becoming a teenager, as, as I've experienced, if you have one. And so, you know, and that's okay. And the question is, how can I do the best in those moments with what I'm given? And then when I do have that opportunity to get back to my blueprint, I do. Now, the tricky part about that and why I think for us, and this isn't an info for for one-to-one coaching, but for us, if we have a one-to-one coaching relationship with somebody who has a schedule like you do, then we can work with you week to week and modify it as you go. And so you have that, that counterpart to basically sort through it because it's hard to do that sometimes on your own, especially you're not sure you know what the trade-offs, the right trade-offs should be. But absent that, to me, it's, it's about getting in the runs that you can without compromising sleep and recovery and when in doubt, just getting out for an easy run. Yeah. And that's, that's Whatever kind of distance is allowed. And sometimes it's only time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how my mindset has been. Um, it's hard when when you know what you could be doing or that you have done in the past and then realizing that you have time constraints that a lot that are not allowing you to do what you want. So it's just it's a tough, tough spot to be in sometimes. It is, but you know, I want to applaud it too. Um I think part of that answer when you brought up the consistently inconsistent and what do you do? It's like um, one of the reasons why we love coaching is because we give frameworks and ways by which for people to feel successful specifically in the sport of running. But then also as a human, you've got your balancing act and your juggling act, right? And so we do know that um, priority one has got to be med school right now, right? But you're also wearing wife hat. And so it's like, there's other dimensions of your life, but we know that med school for this season of life, or at least in um, your residency, like that's, burner one, right? And so under that burner, um, we have the training itself. So if you get your blueprint written down and you know that this is what a medium long run, uh, quality day and a long run looks like, and then you have, you fill around it and you have your easy days, um, you come into the week hoping that you get all of it done on paper, but then you stack and prioritize within that as well. And you're like, if I get the sticks of the program, the medium, the quality and the long, when a couple of other days missed, then that's you sliding down that scale and being a human and saying, all right, I couldn't get all of it, right? But then another way to break that apart, like I loved the game of golf growing up because there were so many rules to it and I could go play it alone because I knew the rules of the game. Like no one around, if I hit in the water, I'm in and one, out in two, hit in three. And I could go and play the course, right? Because I had the rules. So for you, the rules are frequency, volume, intensity. Chris uses a, a different set of terminology, but like I use those as your levers. You're like, all right, the baseline of the goal is frequency. Like I know if I'm committed to five days a week, then I'm going to hit my five days a week, hell or high water because I'm a resident right now, right? Um, Second layer up from that is volume. So you're like, all right, well, if I get the five days and I got the 30 mile weeks, then I'm still winning, right? And then the third is the intensity. If I could get the five days with the 30 miles, and I'm using that as an example for simple math, but if you can get the, uh, the five days with the 30 miles and the quality paced workouts, then I'm getting quote that like ideal of ideals, which again, right now may not happen quite as often given the schedule, but eventually when you're in your practice, you will have remembered like at least I did everything I could during residency because that had, that moved my aerobic engine forward, that ro- moved up my running economy. I was still improving even if I wasn't putting in ideal training, I was still getting better as an athlete. Um, and then there'll, there'll be a time and a place when you can 
get that quote A plus on the frequency, the volume, and the intensity, and it's up into like mid 40s or potentially 50s. We don't know where your journey will take you. It could take you pretty far. Um, but does that help at all as far as like dealing with the whole, I've got a lot going on, knowing that it's inconsistent, how do I be consistent? Is that a mm-hmm. helpful framework? Yes. Or, okay. Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a very helpful, helpful framework for sure. Yeah, get the runs in first. And when in doubt, something is always better than nothing. And I would say for you, especially, you know, because there is that mental health component of just getting out and moving after a hard day at the hospital, that can be an important way to create balance. It also helps, you know, build that aerobic foundation. But you just want to make sure that you're also listening to your body and pulling back intensity even more if needed. Because on those days when you don't have much sleep, maybe it's super easy run that might be slower than your normal easy run, or maybe it's a run walk, or maybe it's just a walk because you're really tired and you only have three hours of sleep or whatever it may be. So you can always flex back that intensity even further than we think. You know, there's quality, not quality, but then even within not quality, there's a spectrum with walking being the easiest version of that. And I, I coach another one on run one on one runner who emailed me this morning and said, "Hey, I'm I'm been going on three hours of sleep because of my job. What do I do?" And my answer is, first of all, prioritize sleep if you can get more to it, and second of all, if you can get out and move a little bit, just walk because we don't want to do anything that would tax the body on that little sleep, but movement generally helps us. During this residency time, you may only be able to prioritize frequency and volume. Mm-hmm. You may not even get to the quality elements as much as you want at mm-hmm. all. And that's okay because ultimately we can get you a long way coming from zero, you know, a year mm-hmm. ago, we can get you a long way on just frequency and volume mm-hmm. without any quality because building engine size has a bigger impact, especially early on, than the quality does the fine tuning. So that's something else to keep in mind. And the encouraging part of the message, right, is that even if you know it's suboptimal, you're still actually building towards the goals. Go ahead, James. I I just wanna jump in here too, um, given time, um, because this is how I'd talk to you if you were my athlete. And so I I wanna go here a little, but like Chris brought up the word limiter. Uh, it was very quick and subtle, but when he talked about your VO2 max question, he had mentioned, um, you know, I want to know why you're asking it. And then he moved you towards aerobic development and because VO2 max may not be the limiter. Limiter is a big thing that we look at as coaches. Arthur Lydiard said it's baking a cake. Renato Canova talked about it's like making soup. And so we we look at it through the lens of what are all the ingredients on the table? And do you have your tools in your toolkit, your arrows in your quiver, your ingredients for baking your cake or making your soup, right? And so that comes comes in. So is your ability to process, process lactic acid is a facet of that. Um, just raw speed turnover, myofascia tissue and how soft tissue is doing, so joints, ligaments, et cetera. Um, the, aero- the oxygen carrying capacity, the aerobic layer, um, there's a lot of ingredients, but one of them is the mental as well. And I wanna touch on a piece uh, like psychologically where at one point you said you weren't that competitive, and I was like, I don't buy it because she's in grad school. She's a doctor. Like that, it, it, in the world, growing up as little kids, we were always like, um, hey, go do something with your life. Go be a doctor or a lawyer. So you went after one of the upper echelon pursuits in life. You went after one of the tops. But then you use the terminology, um, not competitive. And I'm like, I don't buy it. You're competitive. And there's one domain that we're seeing right now. You also, when you talked about sub four, what it would mean, you were like, it looks strong. So I pay attention to what's said and also what's not said, the opposite. So does she potentially not feel strong? So I'm touching on this. Do I feel strong in this world? Do I feel competitive in this world? And so there's a piece of me that always wants to help you like jump from one facet of life, like your domain expertise and your strength over here as a medical professional is showing that when you apply your mind to something and when you point your nose at something, you do produce a big result, right? There's a strength in that. And the question becomes, do you want to carry that over here into the running? Because if you believe that you are both strong, you just haven't had an opportunity to put all this mileage in 
to show that you are strong. If you can start with the belief that I am strong, and when I put my mind to this and I follow it up with the training, I will get the result. The question becomes, do you believe that? Are you buying what I'm selling right now? Yeah, that, that, that's, those are both very good points. There's a lot in the, in the unsaid for sure. But yeah, I, I, I buy that. Not the philosophy, just the philosophy. Do you buy that you're strong? Oh, yeah, I, I do. I do. <laughs> All right, there you go, Sarah. Strong as a runner? <laughs> I'm sorry? Strong as a runner? I do. I mean, I think I have to stay off. I think it's easy to look. I have to stay off social media, but yeah, I do feel like <laughs> don't compare. Yeah. Comparison is the thief I, of joy. I did. I did more wonderful in medical school during COVID when the school was shut down. I mean, there, there are pros and cons for sure, but there was no comparing. I wasn't having to see who was at the library for more hours than me who was doing what during class. And so comparing is, that's a tough one to, to realize and pull yourself out of. Well, at least you're aware of it, but I do think owning the strength is, you know, it's one thing to intellectually believe, okay, James is telling me I'm strong. Okay. I got it. You know, logically I can wrap my head around that. It's another thing to put that into action in your training and ultimately your racing. And part of that is, changing sometimes language and thoughts, right? When you say my unrealistic goal <laughs> of sub four, let's reframe that. You're very realistic. It's going to happen someday if you work hard towards it. Goal of sub four. It's a different framing. You know, sometimes when I coach newer runners, they say, well, I'm not a runner or I'm slow. You know, that's a term I hear all the time. And the reality is, first of all, there's no slow, only degrees of fast. If you're out there trying to do any distance race, much less half marathons and marathons. And second of all, one of my favorite quotes is from Bill Bowerman, who was one of the co-founders of Nike. He said, if you have a body, you're an athlete. And so that's a recognition that if you're here, then you're an athlete. And it's just a question of, are you training or not? Everybody is worthy of big goals. Everybody has the potential to achieve them. And that's one of the things we're passionate about through this podcast is showing that to people because I don't think that all parts of, especially the running world, deliver those messages to people. Sometimes you get this feeling that, oh, I'm not good enough or there's exclusionary elements in the sport, but really everybody can do it and everybody can dream big. So own it. And with that, I would encourage very practical things like let's write this goal down put it somewhere prominent. Doesn't have to be something that you do right away. But it, it should guide everything you do. And what I like to tell people is to think about it as you want to live in two different spaces kind of simultaneously. One space where you're dreaming about the possibility of what that looks like and why you want it. Well, then secondarily going to the very present and saying, okay, what can I do today to take that next small step? Because it will, will seem like forever away to go do that. And maybe we need to break it down into smaller sub goals. But if you allow yourself to dream while simultaneously being present, focusing on the next run or what you can do today, given your constraints, then eventually day by day, step by step, you'll get there. Let's talk about pace for a second and effort because you mentioned you know we're, we're talking about building volume you mentioned trying to figure out how to get your heart rate down out of zone five according to your whiz bang garmin and so what are you feeling experiencing and seeing there um i've tried a couple of times where a walk for a while see what my heart rate is just kind of for a while. And then I will start to run as slow as I possibly can. And it just, it's, it'll be like at a walking pace, but it's still high. So I just don't know what, what I'm doing wrong. Does it, does it feel high or is it just no, what the watch is telling you? It just like, I feel, I, before I really, before I had the fancier Garmin watch, um, 
I really just paid attention to how I was breathing. And that was how I kind of could tell my effort. And that's still how I feel about it. But like I can run at my recovery pace without breathing hard, obviously, but my heart rate will still be high. Um, or I can be running sprints and it's the same. So I just, I don't know. I was trying to understand kind of scientifically why. Well, the scientific answer is that the watch is not accurate, (laughs) I think. I mean, and we see this quite commonly with wrist-based heart rates. Mm -hmm. And it's, there's been kind of an epidemic of it recently. James and I were talking about this the other day where we're having people consistently telling us this same message. You know, if you're, if you're going to get accurate heart rate data, you either measure it yourself manually or you have a wrist or sorry, a chest based strap. It's going to give you a more accurate reading. The wrist stuff just for whatever reason, isn't that accurate. I think especially from an absolute sense, sometimes you can get some relative information from it comparing across runs. But in the case of what you're describing, if it feels like you're in the right zone and yet it's giving you a number that doesn't seem reasonable, the watch is probably wrong. So in that case, I'd want you to ignore the watch and focus on your effort and how you're feeling versus be guided at all by uh, the wrong number on your watch. Because this is where technology can be limiting for us. Yeah, it's a great tool, has great information for us. But when it's wrong, it can misdirect us or cause us to get in our head when it's not actually accurate or helpful. Right. No, I never even cared about it. (laughs) So in this case, I would contend that it's probably inaccurate if you could turn it off or you can, I mean, I think you can take heart rate off that screen and I would just take it off because it's not actually giving you productive data. And rather I would listen to how you feel. And this idea of being able to talk and breathe and control and be comfortable is one way to triangulate around the right effort. The other way would be pace. I mean, you ran about 11 minute miles for your half marathon. Typically, I would want to see you at least 90 seconds per mile slower than that on a normal easy run. So about 1230 or slower and even slower than that, maybe 1330 or slower on a recovery day if you did have a quality or a long run that you were recovering from. Okay. So I I would use effort and pace versus the number on your watch. I think, yeah, that's, it's always slower than you think. That's what I'm learning. Yeah. And, you know, when in doubt, you can always verify it yourself. You know, it's just pound it. Put your fingers on your neck after you start running for a little bit and it spikes on your watch, then just count it off manually and see. Because I think you'll find that the watch just, for whatever reason, isn't giving you accurate data. That seems right. So that gets to your second question embedded within this. And one underscore is a part of that. The easy running is going to be so critical for you while you're establishing this foundation. So commit to that part. I know that it's hard when you're getting limited time sometimes and you think, oh, I only have this little window and I haven't run as much as I wanted to this week. So I'm going to go hammer 30 minutes and that's going to make my ego feel better because I felt like I really got work in. It's like you were at the gym with me last week. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) This is not my first rodeo, Sarah. (laughs) So the answer is don't do that. That is counterproductive to the goal here. If you have the window, take it. But the priority is that easy running, that, that frequency then volume at easy efforts that James was prioritizing over the quality. The quality comes third. So did you, did you, uh, what did you do at the gym last week? Oh, I don't, it's just like the one time a week that I have <laughs> time to run. I just, I'm like, all right, here we go. <laughs> I'm right out. <laughs> don't do that. Unproductive. Yeah. Okay. And then the other thing I wanted to talk about since we have this kind of sub four goal in mind is you know, at some point, hopefully you'll have the space and capacity in residency to go for the marathon. And that would be another opportunity to, to really focus on mileage building. And I wouldn't necessarily sequence that in any particular order, except that when you have the time and when you have a race that you're excited about, maybe it's St. Jude, then 
you know, you build and you go do it. And I would recommend at least a 20 or 22 week plan to build to that with the right space and capacity in your schedule to, to follow it as well as you can. Again, even in that first marathon cycle, volume is going to be more important than speed. We would naturally sprinkle that in to keep it interesting, but you're still going to prioritize volume there. But beyond that, and at some point, we also have to think about improving your 5K and 10K times. So we have to still make sure we're flexing on the speed end, which would actually be the true VO2 max style work that would gear you up for a fast 5K because the faster you can run the short stuff, the faster you can run the long stuff, it all works together. So as you're thinking about piecing your journey together, and again, the sequence is probably less important than just making sure you have these components. It's, yeah, sure, do a marathon when you can, but also give yourself 16 weeks to train for a 5K at some point where you're really focused on running your best 5K and maybe still doing 14-mile long runs because those still matter in the grand scheme to be your fastest 5K self. So just make sure you don't allow yourself to become one-dimensional in this journey. Right. I remember that from your foundation podcast, and I think that's so important for sure. Love it. What questions do you have for us? Additional questions, if any. Um, I mean, I feel like we've covered everything, and I guess the only other thing is is how do you structure? Like, and this is probably too specific of a question, but how do you structure? running when you just want to enjoy running and not having a race on the calendar? It's a, it's a great question. And I think it's, it has different elements where it might actually fit, right? Because sometimes it's like, hey, I don't have a race. Sometimes it's just, I have time between a race and it's not quite time to get into specific training yet. It also has a longevity component of, hey, what does training for a healthy and successful like life like your mom look like which i think by the way is is an underrated part of of structuring longevity and training as you age which James and i are actually going to do an episode on ourselves soon and the nice thing is it actually looks very similar to if you're training for a race because <laughs> you still want to be polarizing your training you still want to modulate your days if you're running five days a week, you're still going to have a medium long run. You're still going to have recovery runs. You're still going to have long runs that might be still two hours worth of time on your feet. Certainly less if you don't have quite time for that. But the more you can stay consistent year round with a routine that looks exactly like it would in training, and sometimes the miles aren't quite as long, the speed work isn't as specific, but you still get the same elements in. And you're just doing it in a way that isn't necessarily tailored or periodized towards a race. It might just be tailored to what do I need to work on right now in this window of time that will bridge me to my next thing. And so that could be working on just getting consistent volume in, prioritizing just easy running. It could be doing priming workouts where you're working on speed and speed development without a specific goal in mind. There's a lot of different ways it could be structured and you can modulate it up and down. But the more you can make it look as consistent as possible year round, lifetime, you know, decades for decades, the faster you're going to be. And that, again, isn't to say you aren't going to have those seasons where things ebb and flow. But if you're doing long runs every week, then it's going to pay off not only in longevity, but also in having the ability to easily ramp into a training cycle without having to go from zero, which will make a massive difference in your ability to reach your potential. When I first started running, I would sign up for a race. I'd train four or five months for it. I'd stop, not run for two months because I didn't have a race in mind. And then I would think, oh, I need a race to train again. So I'd sign up for another race. And then I would train four or five months for it. And I would do that over and over again. And what happened eventually was I just simply plateaued because I didn't have that year round consistency. And so now when I'm not in specific training, my weeks look exactly the same. 
Certainly they're modulated. Sometimes you take out a day. Sometimes you're not doing as much volume. Sometimes speed work is there or not there in those windows, but the basic skeleton of the structure is exactly the same. Yeah, that makes sense. Longevity is super, yeah, super important to me. <laughs> I love that. I would say on that note too, um, he, he mentioned a, a long run fairly consistently. Um, let's call that 90 minutes to two hours. Now I would never, I'm trying to be conscious of listeners too. So it's like if someone's currently at like a four mile long run and um, I wouldn't want them to jump to that immediately. And I've even written programs where a long run might be six miles because um, that's where they're at. But you who have built up like to running a half and you, which means you can run for two and a half hours. Like if, if you're not there currently, that's fine. But as you build back up and reach 90 minutes as like, that's a very doable distance, then maintaining that I'd say in, in residency, if you can do that twice a month. Um, otherwise we typically do two weeks up one week down. So it could be like 90 minutes to two hours, 90 minutes to two hours, and then a down week of like 60 minute long run. So if each week has these rules of the game, so to speak, where it's like, um, I do a long run. I also do one day with a little bit of speed. Um, and then I'm just out the door as often as I can. Some days it may be 20 to 30 minutes. Like that's you being realistic about your bandwidth, your limitations as a human, trying to touch one speed day, one long run day, keep your frequency goals. Um, I'm just hoping that provides a little extra structure specifically. That's very helpful. Thank you. Yeah. And there may be times again, where it's harder than others. And, and one of the things I always emphasize there is that something is so much better than nothing. Even just maintaining three or four days a week of some basic baseline of movement will make it so much easier when you do get back into training to ramp up because you're not starting from zero. Gives you that baseline level of activity that helps you stay connected enough to your fitness so that you're not digging out of a big hole when you do start back. Exactly. So there you go one hour and four minute answer to your question. <laughs> Thank you both so much. It's very Thank you. This is awesome. I'm excited to follow along from afar. Certainly, you know how to reach us now. If you need help along the way, I totally get there in a crazy time space with your residency and, and also challenging probably economically because they don't pay you guys enough. <laughs> but if and when we can help, let us know. And we'd love to stay connected and help you along the way because we're going to go get that sub four, whether you like it or not. Yeah, for sure. It's very exciting. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks, Sarah, for being willing to open up and share with the listeners. We wish you the best of luck. Thank you. So there you go. Helping Sarah fulfill her marathon dreams at some point. I want to thank Sarah for joining, being willing to open up, and for her great questions. I want to thank all of you for listening. And of course, I want to thank my sponsor for the episode, John G. Go check out their running apparel. Use that code ROGUE15, R-O-G-U-E-1-5, for 15% off. Otherwise, you can always check us out on our website, roguerunning.com, or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, at Rogue Running. Until next time. We'll talk to you soon.